He had treated my friend Sam just the same, and we were a miserable pair that night. Sam deferred getting married until after he qualified. The wedding was all arranged, poised at the starting gate, to proceed if he passed and be cancelled if he failed. After his humiliating ordeal with the dean, he phoned his fiancée and told her to cancel. Certain in the knowledge that we had both failed, we went through the remainder of the exams more or less mechanically. Confirmation of our defeat would be a formality. The results were due to be posted on the Senate House Notice Board at 6.30am. I was still fast asleep in bed when Sam burst into my room at 6.35. Wake up! We're bloody doctors! he shouted at me. Have a drink! Producing a half-bottle of whiskey from his back pocket, he poured two generous dollops into the tooth mugs on the wash basin. I woke up fast. Are you sure? I asked, disbelievingly. Have you been to look? Of course, he replied, taking a large swig of what was obviously not his first drink of the day. Drink that up and come and see for yourself. I drank it as I dressed, neat, out of the tooth mug and we ran to the Senate House. It was true. The following candidates have satisfied the examiners, the notice read, and there followed a list of names. Ours were both there. It was far too early for breakfast, so we went back to the tooth mugs and finished off the bottle. The rest of the morning is hazy, but I remember sitting on the floor of a public call box completely unable to stand, with my legs stretched up against the door. I recall just being able to reach the telephone dial with the tip of one finger and with enormous difficulty dialing O for the operator and then asking for a reverse charge call to Ruth. I heard her answer and the operator say, Dr. Jackson is calling from a Cambridge call box. Will you pay for the call? Then she started to cry. Eventually she said, Yes, but she had received the message. I was too drunk to speak, and she was too full of emotion. I've no recollection of the train journey back, but I remember the evening. That was the night she became pregnant. And now we had four, rushing about the garden, already declaring it home. I want it, she said again. I want it. And so did I, more than anything in the world. We walked up the garden from the lake towards the house. It was an old manor house, extensively rebuilt in Georgian times and standing in six acres of ground. Part of the garden was a moat-shaped lake with a bridge to the island in the centre. To live here, represented a way of life forever denied us in our present establishment. Living in the town, with the surgery and waiting room taking up the front of the house, had initially seemed stimulating. But as the practice grew, it made more and more demands on us, to the extent that we were now barely able to cope with it. The telephone rang incessantly, and the population was becoming more demanding. It's your own fault! Mac said to me one day, when I was grumbling to him about it. If you live above the shop, you're expected to be open all hours. He was the senior partner, 
the original Dewar Scott, who had spent a lifetime training his patients exactly as he wanted them. He had not got an army of retired gentlefolk ringing every evening with an up-to-date bulletin on their bowel movements, but somehow I had acquired one. You'll have to be firmer with them, he told me. The better the service that you provide, the more it will be used. And the more it is used, the more it will be abused. He was quite right. I was too soft with them. You find yourself a nice house somewhere, and we'll build a brand new surgery. It was easier said than done. For months we'd been looking but had never seen anything that we fancied or could afford. I'd even asked old Jimmy Sprout to find one for me. Jimmy was one of the regular bedtime callers, who fondly imagined that I was constantly agog to know the state of his constipation and must be informed of every development. Although not born a gentleman, he was a very astute...